Before we get started this morning, I just want to acknowledge like uh, a little elephant maybe in the room. Like if you walked in early this morning, I'm just going to acknowledge what you saw. Like you probably saw a video camera with a woman interviewing people and you probably thought, what in the world is going on? And so I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to let the cat out of the bag. As Jeremiah and I have talked about um, this idea of two Baptist churches coming together, laying down traditions to, to be together for five weeks, we thought... Man, that's a reality show if I've ever heard of one. So this crew is here, and maybe if the documentary is successful enough, we can put that helicopter pad together out back. <laughs> In all seriousness, uh, actually, um, we got presented the opportunity, just the story of, of what we've been doing and partnering together and us coming together for five weeks uh, caught some attention, and a local news station was just interested in sharing that story because it is that strange where we live. Apparently, it is breaking news for the body of Christ to want to be together. Um, and so we thought, man, we'd love to be a part of telling that story and encouraging one another, um, encouraging other local bodies of Christ with what we've experienced. So um, it's been a joy to partner with you. It's a joy to get to tell that story together. It's been a joy to get to partner in ministry with you as we've together as two churches have committed to buying nearly 100 gifts for area foster children. And I want to thank you for everybody who's partaken in that. I also want to encourage you with two things about that before we dive in. Number one, we have about seven gifts left, and they're back there on that table. They're little red cards. If you want to partake, grab one of those red cards today and have that back here next Sunday. If you don't, whatever cards are left today, we're going to make sure those kids get gifts. But if you want to take part in this process, there's seven cards left you can pick from. And then for everybody who's already got a card, if you haven't brought your gift back yet, will you do that by next Sunday? We'd like to collect everything that's left next Sunday and um, uh, deliver that to Missouri Baptist Children's Home. I've already delivered everything you've brought so far, and they are just abundantly um, gracious and thankful for what you have done. Today, as is obvious and has been noted multiple times, we're beginning a special season called Advent. And we begin... This season, all together, kiddos included. Kiddos, if you're in here, I'm thankful that you're in here. God's word is for you as much as any of us. To begin this Advent season, I have a story that I get to share this morning. And it's a story for all of God's church. Now, on the surface, this story sounds very familiar this time of year. Our story begins with a childless woman who is approached by one like an angel. And this divine figure tells her that she will bear a son who belongs to the Lord and he will be powerful and he will begin to rescue God's people. You might, if you just heard that description, think that sounds like a pretty familiar story. However, this is not the Christmas story because Judges 13 is not the story of a perfect savior, but a deeply flawed savior. And this deeply flawed savior was born to rescue a deeply flawed people. And the story starts with verse 1 by making that clear right out of the gate. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. In this one verse, this story today begins like so many stories before it and so many after. I have three kids. My youngest is my son Moses. And my son Moses is passionate about only a few things. He's passionate about Jeep rides. He is passionate about songs where you have to clap. And he is passionate about food. And he gets excited at mealtime. Not, it's not a normal excitement. It's anxiousness. Like, he becomes crazy when the food's put in front of him. Like, he just wants it. He doesn't want to wait. He is not trusting me that I'm going to do my job in distributing it to him. Moses forgets 
Every meal that I fed him adequately, I provided the food the time before. He just forgets every time it's a clean slate, something we've been working on lately. In part, that story, that example, demonstrates the reason why Advent is so important for Christians. Because we come from a long line of people who have struggled with waiting. Back then, back in this time, they were waiting on the Messiah to come and save. And today we wait for the king to come and rule. But God's people have always been waiting and we've always struggled with it. So that begs the question, why do we hate waiting so much? We hate waiting at the DMV. We hate waiting when our coffee order takes too long. Our whole economy is based on the idea that you wouldn't have to wait anymore. You don't have to wait for that new movie to come out to see it in theaters or on DVD. It just come right to your TV. We are done with waiting. We hate it. Why do we hate it so much? And it's because waiting at its core, it feels like wasted time. And if Christ is not who he said he is, then it is in fact wasted time because we only have so many minutes. However, in the history of redemption, God has made clear that waiting is never wasted for the believer. In fact, waiting is God's special tool for sanctification, and thus for us, waiting is a special privilege. This is why Advent matters, because we need our hearts to be reminded annually that we wait with hope because Jesus came. And will come again. Now, as this verse tells us, unfortunately, the people of Israel had long passed waiting with hope at this point. The book of Judges takes place over a thousand years before the Messiah would come. And as the book of Joshua told the story of Israel's conquest of the promised land, the book of Judges tells of the various leaders who were raised up to deliver Israel from the enemies that remained in the land. And verse 1 makes clear that is not going super well. The people have grown weary. They are tired of waiting. They have embraced the very culture that sought to enslave them. So for a moment, the Lord gives them over to that desire for nearly 40 years. Yet our God is abundant in grace and mercy. Despite their lack of repentance, their lack of even calling out to him, we see that they're good with this new arrangement. They're not even asking for God's grace. They have bought into their enslavement. They have bought into the culture and have forgotten the ways of God. Yet God begins to move on their behalf, and the story of that redemption that Jeremiah read to you, we see that begin to take shape in verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, and his name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean. For you will conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me. And his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from. And he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. What a remarkable scene. Here in this little town outside of Jerusalem, a millennium before the birth of Christ, a divine figure shows up to a childless woman with an extraordinary promise. And we don't know much about this woman. We don't know her age. We don't know her name. The only thing we know about her 
is likely the thing that was the source of her deepest hurt and grief. That she had not only not born a child, but she was barren, so she never would. And this figure shows up, totally unexpected, and out of the gate, he reminds her of that truth. I don't know about you, but when I was reading, preparing for this sermon, that's the first thing that hits me. If I had been given the opportunity to speak with this figure before he went calling on this woman, I might have counseled him not to mention words like barren or children. Like, let's not, not only let's not open with that, let's just not say that. But this angel, he's got no chill, man. He just goes right for it. He opens up with it. In that, you see, your deepest hurts are not a secret to the Lord. He is not afraid to call them out by name and bring them into the open, and he invites you to do the same. He wants this woman to know that the source of shame that she has carried is not a barrier for the redemptive work of God to do his thing. And notice, she gets the message. Her hope is not deflated at this declaration. She does not, these words, they don't leave her in a puddle on the floor. Instead, she is inflated in the presence of God's majesty as a recipient of his promise. And now, she goes on to describe this encounter. And how does she describe it? Very awesome. I want to take a moment this morning just to say a word about your sorrows as we consider what we just experienced and heard. My friend, I want you just to consider the implications of this story. Your greatest sorrow, your greatest fear, your greatest hurt, none of it can stand toe-to-toe with the glory of God, revealed to you as a recipient of his promise. This is Advent. You are an heir to a promise far grander than this woman received, for you have received God's own son. And no matter what pain you grapple with today, when you see him face to face, which is a promise, it is the promise, this momentary affliction will be like a candle compared to the sun. Never forget that all of your pain and struggle, it is accomplishing something. You see here, the angel of God reminds this woman of her weakness. He wants her to know it, embrace it, and it's setting her up for what he's about to do so that she might, he wants her to feel this full measure of grace through an extraordinary promise. You shall conceive and bear a son. Absolutely no doubt. And this son will not be any son. He tells her, He's going to belong to the Lord and be set apart for the Lord's purposes. Number 6, verse 1 through 21, describes the vow of a Nazarite that is mentioned by the angel of the Lord. When under the vow, people regarded themselves as especially devoted to God, leaving their hair uncut, drinking no wine, avoiding contact with anything dead. Now, this Nazarite vow was typically a a temporary vow, commonly maybe 30 days or so, and it ended with a burnt offering to the Lord. However, this child was to take this vow for life, not beginning at its birth, but in the womb. God set this child apart in the womb, and as a result, his mother would have to abide by these vows as well as she carried him and then raised him. Consider this morning the implication of that for your salvation. As we discuss over these next several weeks the miraculous births of Scripture, we cannot overlook what God is doing and on what basis. This baby has not been born 
He has done nothing either good nor bad, yet the Lord has chosen to use this child for his special purpose. And a little spoiler alert here, this child was not up to the task. He would fail far more than he would succeed, yet in his grace the Lord chose to call this child his own and use both his good days and his bad days for God's sovereign purposes. For as the mother was told, this child shall begin to save Israel. At this point, we have to stop and ask the obvious question. What kind of angel is this? It's as if this angel knew full well the story that would play out in this new life that may or may not have already been in the womb at the time that he's talking. It appears that this woman is wrestling with the same question as she communicates to her husband what has taken place. And then he has questions. Let's read about that encounter. Going on to verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with this child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man that spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? What is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or eat unclean things. All that I have commanded, let her observe. How does Manoah respond to such a glorious promise when the wife comes and tells Manoah of what she has heard? He prays. He prays. He calls out to the Lord. And then scripture tells us that something miraculous happens. God listens. God hears him. God hears Manoah's prayer. It's easy to pass over a detail like this, but that is an error. That is a mistake. We tend to neglect the access we have been given to God, but scripture does not. The psalmist sings of this wonder all throughout his writings. In Psalm 21, 8, 1 through 2, to you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the, hear the pleas, the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry out to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. The Lord listens. Manoah prays, and God in his graciousness hears him. And he not only hears Manoah, but he responds. And when Manoah approaches the Lord concerning his promise, notice his posture. He says, now when your words come true. Manoah has no doubt of what he has seen and heard. He approaches God expecting God to do what God said he is going to do. He prays, God listens, and he prays expectantly. We would do well to see the pattern of faith demonstrated here in this text. God reveals himself, and this woman and her husband, they're invited to respond to what God has said, and they respond in faith, sure that God will keep his promise. And how can they be sure? Of such an extraordinary promise because despite the fact that they did not know his name they could not deny the one who revealed was revealed to them nor can any man deny him In verse 15 it says Manoah said to the angel of the Lord 
Please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering, and he offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Manoah asked this angel, what is your name? Our Savior is familiar with this question. And he responds back to this man, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? This time, there are several, this time of year, there are several verses we tend to draw from. Consider this one from Isaiah 9-6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here in this text, the pre-incarnate Christ reveals himself. More than once in the book of Judges and multiple times in the Old Testament, we see Christ working at the will of the Father, preparing the world for his arrival before he would arrive in Bethlehem. Now, he won't stay for dinner this time. He's invited. Manoah, can I prepare some food? Will you sit and stay? He won't do that. Not yet. But the day would come when he would put on flesh and he would take such a posture. For today, though, he tells them what they can do is offer a burnt offering to the Lord because that time for gathering around the table had not yet come. And he reveals his name to them simply as wonderful. The term wonderful in this context, it means simply too much, too great. Manoah doesn't get to, get to know his name. He must stay within certain bounds. Manoah is limited in terms of what he gets to know about God's redemptive plan and in terms of what he can understand God. Jesus would reveal all that he was, all that he and the Father were doing, but his predetermined time had not yet come. He simply says, wonderful. And he invites this couple to take on the posture of the psalmist who writes in Psalm 139.6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. All of us find ourselves in Manoah's shoes. We want to know more than we get to know. And often Jesus denies our request just as he did right here. Notice he does this to Manoah twice. Back in verse 13, Manoah asks him to clarify in detail, like, can you just give me some specifics about what this child's going to do? Jesus barely acknowledges his question. He just repeats what he had already said. Many of us turn and become frustrated for God for this reason. Many reject God altogether for this reason, because he will not bow to our requests. Like our mother Eve, all of us naturally desire to be like God, 
The idea of going to a tree and having the knowledge and being like God, that's, that was appealing to her, and she's passed that down, and that's appealing to all of us. The natural condition of the human heart is to want the glory that belongs only to him. And thus we demand to know and understand his ways so that we can be assured that they align with ours. This is what a culture finds increasingly, increasingly offensive about the Lord. Yet, our king will do no such thing, for he is wonderful. His goodness is too much for us to take in, at least this side of eternity. So he has given us all that we need, not all that we want. He owes us nothing, but he offers us everything. Mr. and Mrs. Manoa, they had no earthly justification for offering their son in the way that they would end up offering him. They only responded to the glory that stood before them and instructed them. In the same way, if you are in Christ, it is because Jesus showed up and revealed himself to you through the revelation of the gospel and the work of the Spirit. And now you live in light of the instruction he has given, not out of fear, but out of love. Let us close by considering this posture as it plays out in these final verses. Verses 23 through 25. Remember, Manoah has just said, we've seen God, we're surely going to die. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced to us such things as these. Then the woman bore a son, and she called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, in Menendon, between Zorah and Eshtaol. This morning, I want to lead with you three truths from these closing verses that they might give you hope as we enter into and begin this season of waiting today. Number one, at Advent, we reject the posture of Manoah, and as a people of hope, we embrace the posture of this humble woman. In John 14, 15, after Christ has put on flesh, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Sometimes we're prone to live as if Jesus had said, if you love me, you better keep my commandments. You know, it takes me back to mom and church, you know, that kind of thing. But that's not what he says. That's not, it's, this isn't a threat by Jesus. It's a declaration of what's true. If you have no desire to follow the word of God, to respond to him, then your issue is not a lack of knowledge. It's not even a lack of discipline. It's ultimately a matter of love. If we love Jesus, we do what he has asked us to do. Because when you gaze upon Christ, you change. Just like this woman here in this instance. This morning, if you are in Christ, you need not fear this true Savior, like Manoah did, who says we will surely die. But like this humble woman who recognizes that God has not given all of this knowledge that he should smite us, we bask in this promise of redemption. This woman, man, I was really stuck on her this week. You know, notice we don't even get to know her name. In other stories you're going to hear over the next few weeks, we, we know the woman's name. But in this instance, she's anonymous. She's totally anonymous. We know only this, that she was desperately in need and was abundantly blessed. Are you okay with that as your sole identity? And this is the question for Advent. 
this woman would bear a son. And his answer to that question would be repeatedly no. So the second truth of today is that Samson, he was a savior. But that's a small s. You'll notice in the bulletin, he was not a sufficient savior because his strength was not sufficient to save, nor is yours. I decided against telling the whole story of Samson today because I just, that was originally my idea, but as I got into the content of Judges 13, I just thought there's just too much here. So um, it's too important by itself. But in case you don't know the story of Samson, the Lord blessed him with incredible strength. Okay, I, I grew up valuing strength above everything. I grew up as a young boy in an oil field town where like, you know, the only, the only industry we had in our town was a local pub where the oil field workers would gather after work. And then the local grocery store was 60 miles away. Local pub was right there by the interstate in this little village in southern Wyoming. I learned from a young age, strength is what made you a man. Strength, physical strength, that is what was to be valued above all else. So while other kids watched cartoons, man, I loved turning to that channel when the big mountain men would pick up the, you know, the big stone and set it up. I, I loved watching the world's strongest man competitions. And I loved superheroes because they were strong in a way that something about that resonated with me. Samson was a real-life superhero. He was meant to embody all of that. He was. Like, if you, I'm not going to tell the whole story of Samson today, but you, sh you should read it, all right? Like, it's a weird story, but it's important. If you read the story, you'll see Samson was blessed with incredible strength. Samson was a real-life superhero. He kills a lion with his bare hands. He kills thousands, hundreds of men with a jawbone, all right? He was the savior in many ways that the world wanted. He was the savior that 12-year-old me would have said that I wanted. He was far more what, like what the disciples were looking for. The disciples are constantly frustrated with Jesus because like this carpenter from Bethlehem, this isn't, this isn't what we heard about as a kid. Like this is not what we were drawing pictures of. This is not who we thought we were waiting for. They're waiting for somebody who looked like Samson, who's going to show up. And I mean, Samson's the, the baddest dude that ever walked the planet. That's what they were waiting for. Yet Samson had a fatal flaw. And throughout the next few chapters of Judges, which again are weird, but I encourage you to read them, there is a phrase repeatedly attributed to Samson. And that phrase is, he did what was right in his own eyes. You see, Samson had a fatal flaw, and it's the same flaw that you and I have. He was a sinner, prone to do his will above God's. Yet also like us, God preserved him in grace despite his constant failures. And ultimately, God used him for his purpose and to his glory, despite the fact that he was an absolute knucklehead. The knucklehead of knuckleheads. And this is good news to a room full of knuckleheads. The one who appeared before Manoah and his wife, that one knew full well that the child would only begin to save. Yet he remained steadfast because he knew that one day he would put on flesh to save fully and completely. And for the final truth I want to share with you this morning, it's that a real savior was born well after Samson died, and his strength was not found in his might at all, but in his holiness. Samson, he would die a sinner, weak and defeated. In the story, he actually loses his strength. He was fully dependent on God to have grace for a future. 
Yet Jesus would die only for a moment and be raised again strong and victorious, fully desiring to grant you the holiness that only he can offer. This is the kind of strength that can redeem and which you have been offered in Jesus Christ. This is hope made manifest. Christian, I, I want you to know this morning, Jesus has not forsaken you. He did not leave us with a, with a, just an absolute scam of a Savior. No, he came, and he provided all that we would need. And his will is not for you to die, but for you to live, and to live abundantly with hope. Manoah, he had reverence, but he had no comfort in that moment. He had fear, but he had no joy. Because a better Savior has come and is coming again, we have hope and joy in the midst of all circumstances. Because he's coming again, we have every reason to sing and celebrate together today. Jesus Christ is madly in love with you. Embrace that reality this morning. Would you pray with me?